Chapter 19 of Countdown by Kurt Becker, S.J. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. 7. Deborah came back that afternoon looking pale and withdrawn, and Ned felt it safe to return home. Owen glared unforgivingly at his wife, and informed her that he was going to be very busy the next few days, and he would probably not be home. He was, he said, staying with the Kingsleys. They were busy organizing the work of the Sons of the Vigilantes. From what the papers reported three days later, the Sons wanted a shake-up in the police department. Kingsley and other distinguished citizens, Owen was one of them, had taken the bank robbery seriously. The police, they said, were unable to cope with either the major crimes or the minor nuisances committed by Hillstown's delinquents. It was high time something was done. They had organized a citizens' committee, and were asking the mayor to appoint Mr. Kingsley temporary chief of police during the incapacity of Mr. Drew. There was a picture of Kingsley looking stern and dignified, and a picture of a group of grim-looking citizens, with Owen in the midst of them. Significantly, there was no mention of the incident at the police station, when Robson's identification had backfired. Ned read the article with a strange, empty feeling inside him. Kingsley's harangues to the sons, faithfully reflected in the actions and words of his followers, gave a clear indication that there was a strong anti-foreigner drive-on. The paper carried a small item stating that somebody had thrown bricks into the Tovar hothouses, doing considerable damage to the buildings, and injuring a workman who was cut by flying glass. The police had no information either as to the identity of the vandals, nor their reason, and the paper concluded it was malicious mischief on the part of some excitement-hungry teenagers. A number of similar things had happened all over town, nothing really serious, just broken windows, damaged books, torn curtains. In every instance, the victims had been Mexicans or Jews. The sons of the vigilantes, Ned knew, were on the march. Owen came home, smiling triumphantly that night. The mayor had appointed Kingsley temporary chief of police. Robson had not put in an appearance in school since the incident of the police station, but the morning after his father's appointment he showed up again his handsome face wearing a smug expression, and asked all sorts of questions in every class, except Mike's. The coach ignored him completely. Ned admired the man's iron self-control. Ned himself could not help but be aware of the other boy's disturbing presence, and he found it distracting. It was no longer necessary to keep from thinking about Baldwin's story. He found, to his own surprise, that he was accepting Robson's insanity as a part of him, like his eyes or mouth. It was just something he had to watch, that was all. So he watched it, resolved not to get mixed up with the other boy if he could possibly avoid it. As it happened, he wasn't able to avoid it. Walter had come to class that day for the first time since his father had been shot. He looked thin and drawn, and Ned's heart went out to him in sympathy. They had a brief lunch together, and then they went out for a short stroll along the edge of the cinder track before going back to class. "'My father's better,' Walt said. "'The doctors say he has a good chance to pull through.' He recognized me last night. He looked away and suddenly shouted, Look out! and pushed Ned aside. A baseball whizzed past them. So sorry, Robson Kingsley said. You threw that deliberately, Walter accused. You crazy or something? Kingsley was suddenly standing before them, his face livid. Don't you ever say that again, he hissed. Nobody's right mind deliberately throws a baseball at somebody's head, Walter stated positively. You must be crazy. With a wild animal howl of rage, Robson hurled himself at Walter. 
Before Ned could move, the crippled boy was flat on his back on the ground, with young Kingsley sitting on his stomach and banging the other's head on the ground. Ned recovered swiftly, seized the raging boy's jacket, and flung him aside with a powerful heave. Then before he could bend down to see how his friend was, Robson was on him. The fury of the attack drove Ned back in momentary confusion, dazed by the blows that rained on him. Then he reacted swiftly and began defending himself with all the strength and skill at his command. Robson's fury lent him an astonishing strength, but it also deprived him of the coolness he needed to overpower his adversary. Ned was strong, and under Mice's careful coaching he had become a skillful boxer. For a few minutes he defended himself out of the need to do so, his only thought being self-protection. Then, as they struggled, Ned was suddenly filled with an icy rage at his assailant. Kingsley had persecuted and maligned him. Kingsley had attacked his friend, and had assaulted him without cause. He wanted to smash the other, to batter his handsome face to a bleeding pulp, to reduce him to a helpless and quivering hulk. Adroitly he sidestepped a furious rush, ducking under Robson's wild swing, and landed two heavy blows on Kingsley's body. Three times he avoided the other's charge, each time driving his fists deep into the other's midsection. The fourth charge was slower, as the blows took their toll, and Ned stepped inside and shot out a left fist that caught the other full on the mouth and snapped his head back. Before Robson could recover, Ned swung with all his strength, and his right hand caught the other at the pit of his stomach, driving out his wind with an explosive whoosh. Robson's eyes glazed, his mouth opened, and his arms were suddenly hanging helpless at his sides as his knees began to buckle. Before he could fall, Ned seized him by the white jacket he wore and shook him furiously, like a terrier shaking a rat. Kingsley's head jerked back and forth limply for a few moments, then his neck stiffened as he managed to catch his breath again. Keeping his grip with his left hand, Ned brought his right hand back and slapped him with his open hand across the face again and again, a dozen times before pushing him away in sudden loathing and allowing him to fall on the ground in a heap, breath coming in great gasps, blood trickling from his mouth, his tear-streaked face bearing the angry red marks of Ned's open hand. Ned's anger drained away and turned to disgust. He felt unclean. Walter was getting groggily to his feet helped by a couple of schoolmates who had come running at the sound of the fight. It had not, Ned realized with a shock, lasted more than a couple of minutes, if that. "'You all right?' he asked Walter. The other boy nodded. "'My head aches, that's all.' "'Maybe you ought to go home,' one of the boys suggested. "'No, I'm all right,' decided Walter. "'I'll make it, don't worry.' "'Boy, that was some fight,' the same boy said, looking at Ned with admiring eyes. You see the whole thing? Right from the time he threw the ball at you. Come on, then, Ned said. We're going right into Mr. Allen and tell him the whole thing. You be a witness. He stepped to where Kingsley still lay on the ground, sobbing. You get up here. You're coming with me. The four of them marched into the principal's office and laid the story out before him, with the three of them accusing Kingsley. Mr. Allen's eyes were cold. You get your books and go home. Don't come back he said to Robson. We don't want your kind around here. And don't bring your father, either. It won't do any good. You are through. Then he turned to Walt and Ned, and his eyes were still frosty. You two know what the regulations are about fighting. You're suspended for two days. Now get out, all of you. Suspended? Ned asked in astonishment. Suspended, the principal repeated. For two days. Go home, both of you. And don't show up around here again till the day after tomorrow. Is that clear? Yes, sir, Walter nodded, nudging Ned in the ribs with his elbow. Come on, Brain. Thank you, sir. 
Ned's hands were sore, the knuckles of his left hand were skinned, and the fingers of his right hand swollen. His left shoulder and his right side ached, and his mouth felt puffy. He had by no means escaped unscathed from the battle. Walt looked at him and grinned a little. "'You better come along to my house and do something about your face,' he said. "'I have a first aid kit.' Ned stayed at Walter's house until it was time for school to be dismissed. Walt was going to see his father in the hospital. He said there was no point in telling him about the suspension. Personally, I think old Alan was just giving us a couple of days off as a reward for giving him a reason to get Kingsley out of the school. Walt said, nodding sagely. What are you going to tell your folks? Just what happened, Ned shrugged. Things in my place can't get much worse. My uncle's been planning to give me a licking for so long, I've more or less become used to the idea. Maybe this will give him a chance to get it over with. Does it look bad? Be my guest, Walt said, waving toward a mirror. There was a purplish swelling at the left corner of Ned's mouth, and an ugly-looking scrape high on his right cheekbone. You've been in a fight, and anybody will know it by looking at you, Will continued. When Walter left for the hospital, Ned started home. The first thing he saw when he entered was Owen sitting on an easy chair, obviously waiting for him. So, his uncle said grimly, the prodigal returns. Have a good day at school? I got suspended. Ned took the plunge. There was no point in postponing things any longer. For fighting, Kingsley got expelled. Just like that, huh? I suppose he started it. He started it, Ned nodded. He knocked Walt down, and I pulled him off, so he jumped me. I suppose you know that Kingsley is the most important man in town? That doesn't give Rob any right to. That gives Rob the right to do anything he likes, snapped Owen. Can't you understand? Kingsley's the most important man in town. Rob Kingsley started it, Ned said flatly. He threw a baseball at me, and he was banging Walt's head against the ground. He would have killed him if I hadn't pulled him off. I don't care how important his father is. Well, I care, Owen said, rising to his feet, his hand on his belt buckle. And you're going to care, too. I'm going to teach you. Get out to the barn. You're going to get a lesson you'll never forget. I am sick and tired of your high and mighty ways. Ned felt the blood drain from his face, and his hands were suddenly clammy. But he managed to keep his voice steady as he looked Owen in the face and said, Yes, sir. He would not utter a single sound, he resolved grimly, no matter what Owen did, and he would not raise a finger in his own defense. The doorbell rang, and Owen went to the door with quick strides and flung it open. Four Sherlock's Kingsley and his son walked in. Robson's face was a mess. His mouth was swollen, there was an angry bruise on the left side of his jaw near the chin, and his right eye was a stupendous shiner, purple, green, and blue. There could be no doubt who had come out second best in the fight. Owen's jaw sagged at the sight, and the look he shot Ned was venomous. The senior Kingsley's face was stony. Well, Owen, he said without preamble, take a good look at what that nephew of yours did to my son. He glared at Ned, his eyes smoky with fury. You satisfied? He started it, Ned repeated. All I did was defend myself. Robson, Kingsley said icily, does not go around picking fights. Deborah, attracted by the sound of the doorbell, came in from the kitchen, wiping her hands on her apron. Since her return from Amarilla, she had been a changed person. She no longer seemed to be afraid of mice. Robson picked this one, Ned said with determination. You calling me a liar, boy. All I'm saying is, I didn't start it, Ned replied. Walt Drew started it, 
Rob said unexpectedly. You're crazy, Ned shot back, and then took a step backward at the sight of Robson's sudden frightful expression. You are crazy. Mr. Baldwin was right. Forrest Kingsley put a hand on his son's shoulder, and Robson became suddenly calm. Baldwin, Kingsley Sr. said, where did you meet Baldwin? He turned to Owen. He's been in the best compound, Owen. He knows what they're doing there. Look at his face. He stepped forward suddenly and gripped Ned's shirt. They're going soon, aren't they? Aren't they? His face was a mask of fury. Answer me. Yes, Ned nodded, taken aback by the other's rage. When, when? I don't know. Ned wet his lips. You're lying. He's lying, Owen. He does know. You've got to make him tell, understand? Look at him. He knows all right. Tell him, Owen said. I don't know. Tell him or I'll get it out of you with a strap. We'll help, won't we, Dad? Robson put in. I tell you, I don't know, Ned said desperately. All right, Owen decided grimly. Go out to the barn. Kingsley released Ned, his face triumphant, and stepped back beside his son. Ned smoothed out the front of his jacket with cold, unsteady fingers. He was almost paralyzed with terror. Jansen's ordeal was once again blotting everything else out of his mind. Then Deborah spoke. She was standing by the fireplace, her hands behind her back. Just a minute, she said quietly, and they all turned and looked at her. Mr. Kingsley, her voice was flat and level, this is my house. I bought it with my money, and it's in my name. The abrupt change of subject caught them all by surprise, kept them staring at her. We were nice and peaceful here till you came, Deborah went on implacably, and since then we've had nothing but commotions and arguments, so I'm asking you and your son to leave my house and not come back. I won't have you coming around here trying to get Owen to punish the boy. It's hard enough to keep the peace without you. For a second Kingsley stared incredulously, then he threw back his head and laughed. Deborah brought her hands around, and Ned saw that she had a double-barreled shotgun, and it pointed straight and steadily at the laughing man. He saw it, too, and the laugh suddenly died in his throat. "'I'm the chief of police,' he sputtered. "'And this is my house,' she retorted without raising her voice. "'Git! I warn you, either you leave, now, or I'll fill you and your precious son full of buckshot. Move!' "'She'll do it, too,' Ned thought." Kingsley apparently decided the same thing. Followed by the open barrels of the gun, he and his son opened the door and went outside. A moment later the car door slammed, and the sound of the powerful motor faded. "'And don't come back,' Deborah said, to no one in particular. Her eyes on Owen were filled with pity and contempt. "'You're the boy's guardian, Owen. If he does something wrong, you can correct him. But if you lay a hand on him, you can move right out of my house. I talked to a lawyer in Amarillo, and I know my rights. She paused. I'm not afraid of you any more. Their eyes clashed. Owen's angry and uncertain, Deborah's cold, implacable. After a moment the man dropped his glance and turned to Ned, his face pale with humiliation and chagrin. This is your fault, he hissed. You've turned her against me. I could break your neck. He controlled himself with a violent effort and rubbed his lips angrily with the back of his hand. You're not to see or speak to Mike Puikin outside of class at any time for any reason, and you're never to go back into the best compound again. Is that clear? Not for any reason. Yes, sir, Ned said steadily, meeting his uncle's eyes. That's clear. All right. 
Deborah carefully hung the shotgun back on its braces next to the fireplace and wiped her hands on her apron. You men better get cleaned up. Supper's almost ready. Without a look at either of them, she went calmly out to the kitchen. End of chapter 19